It's me, Dan, from Harmontown. You can hear episodes of our show and 30 others before anyone else on TuneIn First Play. The TuneIn app is a free mobile audio app available across iOS, Android, and Windows. Podcast superfans get even more from their favorite shows. For four weeks, new episodes of Harmontown will be available a full 24 hours early, exclusively on TuneIn. Podcasts will release their new episodes early, including feral audio shows like Drinky Fun Time, Dome People Town, and Natural. Butte. Tune in is also full of content like live sports, news, music, and audiobooks. Get the next episode of Harmontown right now at the TuneIn app at tunein.com slash Harmontown. Bienvenidos a la Twistino La Venta. I mean, welcome to Twisting the said it before, I didn't mean it, but um, now now the song is going to end, so I really mean it. No, I really do mean it. I really mean it. I seriously mean it. Oh, there you go. Like I like I said, what happened happened, and as we are now and ever shall be, forward and four foot, four, four foot and forth, here you are. You're in it. Welcome to it. That was the long, big old, sweet, chunky Swiss cheese preamble. Uh, mix that up for you. Special today. Cut a couple different ingredients there. Oh man, what's with the cooking metaphors? Those suck. Can you believe that? I just used a cooking metaphor. Those are just the worst. Nothing's worse than a cooking metaphor. Ooh, it's like a recipe. Here, here we go. Give me a, give me a half pound of something inanimate, and give me a quarter teaspoon of another something inanimate, or give me something that's. <laughs> Give me a half pound of something you'd never cook with and give me three tablespoons of something else you never cook with, but it's I'm gonna pretend it's a recipe for love, okay? Want a recipe for love? Okay. Two tablespoons of heartwarming friendship, three dollops of caring, and mix it in a, a loving home for a hundred for perfect room temperature for all your life, and what comes out? You get a, a love stew, everybody. 
loves Stew. Thank you for listening to the telethon. That's the kind of crappy here on fucking telethons. You know what I'm saying? Goddamn mother cracking telefucking thons. Thank you so much for being here on Twisting the Wind. Twisting the Wind is the name of the podcast you are listening to now. I am Johnny Pemberton. I'm the person who's responsible for this piece of trash, this oral fucking oral laser blaster that maybe you're listening to. Maybe you're having a bike accident right now, and this is adding to the problem of your legs losing your body. Maybe. Maybe you're moving across country, and this is the only thing that's keeping you from driving up one of those runaway truck ramps. Have you ever driven up one of those runaway truck ramps? Have you ever driven up one of those runaway truck ramps? I have wanted to so so bad to drive up one of those runaway truck ramps when I was been driving across country. Um... Seriously, I mean, I was doing a joke just now because I mispronounced something and I was kind of going with it, you know, I, I can do that, I can go with something if I want to. But seriously, those runaway truck ramps, if you've seen those before, they're like these big, like, um, very steep, probably like 30 degree inclines that are probably a couple hundred feet long, maybe like the size of a football field lengthwise, I don't know. How big is a fucking football field? I have no idea. I have no perspective. I've never even been on a football field with my did. I was like, oh, I'm on a football field? Oh, this doesn't look like a football Oh, because there's not stands around me because I'm not, it's not a professional football field, but this is still a football field even though it's not a professional football field? Okay. So that was an impression of me being on a football field. And now I've definitely strayed from the metaphor, but runaway truck ramp. They're long, 30 degree ramp filled with gravel. They probably have a bunch of like fucking big of those big orange barrels filled with water, filled with water. Those are there to slow down a runaway truck. And uh, I just wanted to have always wanted to hit one of those things, you know? God forbid you have a runaway truck. God forbid. It would be terrible. No one wants a runaway truck. But you know what? On like a lonely night, no one around. Maybe it's like a Tuesday and you're in your truck. You got like just cargo that's unbreakable. It's like maybe like magic logs. Wouldn't you like to just hit that runaway truck ramp and see how fast you can decelerate with the power of loose gravel and water tanks that are in plastic buckets that'll break away and go... And Michael Bay's fucking, my, all these Michael Bay's ghosts would spray out, and you'd go, oh, thank God I slowed down. Runaway truck ramp, I love you. That's all I want. That's what I want to have, an, have happen on this show, the audio version of a runaway truck ramp. Welcome, 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 welcome. Now, 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 here, here, all that being said, great, super great, got that out. Uh, A couple orders of business here. Number one, please, if you are so inclined, if you're so motivated and feel that little tug, please go to iTunes, rate the podcast, and maybe write a nice little review if you like typing. Some of the best writing I've ever read has been in the form of reviews of this podcast. I like people, people blow my little mind away with what they write. Thank you, number one. Number two, if you'd like to communicate with me, 
make a musical suggestion, a guest suggestion, a D suggestion, a just a reach out and touch down in the middle of a Delta dream like a boring stream, go ahead, email me. It's twistingthewind at jamail.com. <laughs> it's not jamail. That would be fucking great. God, I want jamail.com. Pemberton at jamail.com. That'd be badass. That's just what... I need it's twisting the wind at gmail which is you know that's just code for all the world now so and uh, number three I would like to basically apologize for maybe not being in the moment of pure energy that sometimes I usually previously always was the podcast has not been coming out a lot I've been I tell you what I've been dipping in the old pool of negativity I have oh lord I've been swimming in it I have I have really and it's weird it's hard to say it sucks to say but it's true negativity I've been in that shallow black kitty pool that oily nasty disgusting nail filled negativity kitty pool I know you're saying you're saying oh oh Johnny Penn Negative? No. No. No, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. You're saying, oh, no. You're telling me that, that old Mr. Bright Eyes, old Mr. Double Dangle, old Hot Step Headed Jeff, old Crush Crackle and Crispy, he, he's been negative? No. You telling me that old Mr. Mister, old Tip Tap Taylor, old Troubadour McGrew, old Baster Baster, old Breaker Breaker Now and Later, Hot Step Tater Mater, Ralph Nader Skater, Non Hater Potato Smater, he's native? Yeah, that's true. So that has been dealt with. It hasn't been dealt with. Dealing with, working on, that's how it is. Life is a process. Life is a problem. And But if we didn't have problems, what would we have? Well, probably nothing. You know, it's a lot of good problems. Oh, man, what am I going to eat? <laughs> eat. That's the dumbest. That's the most ultimate problem of all time. What am I going to eat? That's the great question to ask someone if they, like, hey, so what have you been up to? What's been going on? Which is also a stupid question. It's right behind, uh, so what do you do? What do you do? Oh, what do you do? Um, well, you can answer both those questions with what you've been up to and what do you do with one answer. Um, looking for food. That's true, right? Is there a day that goes by you're not looking for food? Maybe you don't have to look very hard for it, but you're looking for it. So there you go. That's how you uh, derail that little question. And um, that's the truth about that negativity. Sorry about it. But um, we're going to get back into it on a hot, hot, sweet track. This whole piece is a wonderful, amazing guest for you today. Some great musical talk about selections. It is just a sweet house to be living in right now. It's like a book. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh shit. Is this Fields? Yes, it is. Hey, this is uh, Kevin Tipcorn calling. I'm from uh, Integrated Management Systems. 
I have okay. a, I have someone I am interested in. I think you guys would be really, uh, you'd be lucky to have as a comedian there. You guys do the, the rib tickler night, right? Right. Maybe you could just tell me a little bit about that, how that works, the rib tickler. As far as what? You know, just like what you guys are looking for. Because I think I know what you're looking for, and I think I have it. I just want to make sure it's the right thing for my clientele base. Okay. You know, we run Friday and Saturday. We have one show, 8.30 to 10.30. We normally go with two comedians, opener and the headliner. Now, you, what is right. the seating arrangement like? Because this guy I've got, his name is Jeff Spurrier. He's a very, he's an amazing comedian. He actually is, was, was touring all over Europe and Mexico and also in um, South America. So he's like got huge numbers other, other places. And I just signed him recently. So he's, he's like got a lot going on here. But this, is, this will be like his first sort of Midwest tour. And I'm just trying okay. to scout out some venues. And I think that your place might be great. I've heard some really great things about it. So... Uh, just to let you know that I could, you guys are already, already like top of the list. So this is my, my actually only my second round of calls. So just well, to let you know. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, what was your name? I'm sorry, I, I didn't get your name. My name is Gus. Gus, G U S, huh? Mm-hmm. Simple. It's it's such so so great when things are easy to spell. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's why I use okay. Tide detergent. It's just T I D E. ID. Yeah, or unless they, you want to, uh, unless you want to take off, you could put a, a, a line over that eye, and you can make it tied like the eye, because that makes it um, it makes the letter when you put a line over the top of a vowel, it makes it just sound like the word the vowel when you say the letter. So um, now about Jeff, so he has sort of some requirements as far as like his setup goes. Do you got what's what's a, what's your table arrangement like there? It varies depending on the number of reservations we have. Okay, so let's say you have like about 400 reservations. What What's going to be there? Can you guys even do 400? I don't, we don't have, no, no. Oh, Our maximum capacity is 100. 100? Oh, that's great. He loves an intimate crowd. So this is this is already really boding very well for uh, Mr. Spurrier. So, what kind of budget do you work with? What kind of budget do I work with? You mean like in terms of mm-hmm. what he's looking to get paid or what, I, what do I do? Right, mm-hmm. That's correct. Well, we like to do we like to do um, we do everything when we're in South America. We do sixty percent of the door, but that's because we provide we provide our own security. That's sixty percent of the door. You don't need no security, right? That's that's why I said South America is a little different. You know, you kind of have like a little bit of a different game downstairs there. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. but what about what what do you guys? Maybe you can just float me an offer, and I'll and I'll tell you kind of if that's something that's in our wheelhouse by. By that I mean. You wanna you wanna send me some information about your show? Sure. Let well, me take a look at it and try to determine what we have available available here. Okay. Well, can you give me informa- a little information about about your um where you're booked out to right now, just so I can see, because we're trying to time it with hurricane season, because that's the big thing. You know, we uh, we we use Entertainment Max. What's that? To book our room. Entertainment it's Max. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm gonna look that up right now. I have the internet. Entertainment Max. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks, Gus. Um, got it. I think we are booked through the end of the year. If there is a show that attracts our attention, we mm-hmm. can put a, requ- a request to make a week available. Got it. I just loaded up Entertainment Max and it almost blew up my computer. It's so maximum. That's pretty great. 
Well, that's good. It's good to know that. Um, I, I just want to give you a little information about Jeff Spurrier. He's he's not your traditional comedian, really. He's more of a speaker, and he does a okay. lot of things where he talks to the people in the audience about things that you wouldn't normally hear about. Okay. Like uh, he play, he prefers to play during summer planting season because he knows a lot about plants, and so that's something okay. where he like he he'll basically do like a five minute interview with a person in the front row. And then he does, he, with that interview, he's able to take that information and do a customized hypnosis where he brings him on stage. He, um, there's a special African root called iboga, and he gives him a shaving of that. It's totally harmless, but they think it's got a potential, a poten- an opiate potentiator. And uh, he lets them chew on that for a few minutes, and while he talks about uh, different sort of like planting techniques as far as like you know, the best way to grow, I don't know, tomatoes. Like, I don't really know about this, but he's an expert. And he, do, he does that, and then he'll, um, once that person has has gone into the uh, the hypnosis state, then it's like, that's when stuff gets really crazy. You know what I mean? You ever had a hypnosis mm-hmm. to your to your venue? Uh, we had, I think we had them last year a couple of times. How did that work out there? I think it worked out well. Did anybody get angry at all? Not that I know of. Okay, that's good. Because sometimes, you know, have you heard about, have you ever had any problems with that where people have gotten, you know, they've become enraged? We don't experience that here, no. That's good. Yeah, you sound like you have a pretty tight ratchet on that sort of uh, top-heavy blow-off steam sort of scenario. So, yeah, well, well, Jeff will introduce that uh, introduce that um, hypnosis element. And typically it's a lady, you know, because we all like ladies hypnotize better than men, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're, they're just they're easier to hypnotize for some reason or another, and also it's just it's you know no one likes to look at a dancing man, especially um, when he has like those kind of weird shoes on, you know. So mm-hmm. he'll do that, and then he'll do like about twenty minutes of jokes about the person who's hypnotized, based mm-hmm. on based on like the based on plants, like using Latin Latin root words. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is really incredible. So it's basically like you're you're getting like a three for one here because you get an entertainer, you get a hypnotist, and you also get a lecturer, which is something that um, a lot of people don't really do because he has a take home a take home packet that is available for a premium. It's not a CD. It's not funny glasses. It's actually like a true information packet. So. I mean, is that something that you guys can facilitate? Uh, you know, it, it'll be great if you can uh, email me something I can look at okay. to evaluate what I'd... he put out versus what we have for our right. audience. I mean, do... do you have a video on the guy? Do you, do you have anything that you can show me? Oh, video. No? Def- definitely not video. He has like a strict no video policy. Oh, because okay. videos, they cause some sort of, there's like this feedback that happens because of, I don't know, where he grew up someplace where this talking about this is uh, Jeff Spurrier he grew up in a place where it's like that that causes some type of a weird uh, feedback and it, it he's had there's been fires before and they don't uh-huh. you know they don't want to have a fire right no one wants a fire right so that's why he doesn't allow that but I mean I can tell you I've seen it with my own eyes and it's like watching it's like watching you, you ever seen like a tree like grow like you know you've yeah. taken notes of the tree imagine if you could look at a tree grow almost twice as fast as it normally does like that's basically okay. what we're talking about here it's like, sort of like the magic of the universe at hand you want to send me some information about your company yeah sure let, let me get your email here you want to hit, hit me up with that it's
restaurant. Right. At Hotmail.com. Oh, okay. I love Hotmail. You have a great accent. Did you, do you do any acting or performing at all? No, sir. No. Where do you originally, no. where do you come from? Or is that just put on? No, no. I, I was born in Lebanon. Oh, Lebanon. A beautiful country. Mm. I think Thank you, sir. I've been all over the Middle East, and I've got to say, um, I've, I'm kind of a hummus expert. And I I am I've I've tasted I've probably tasted I've written about at least 10,000 hummus experiences myself. Oh, that's wonderful. And I was in Lebanon. I was in Beirut and I had the best hummus of my entire life. It had they like had a food out there. Oh my god, it had like this parsley and lemon. It was just an explosion of flavor and it was oh, just yeah. like incredible. And I didn't know. You know, that's honestly this is what I think. A lot this isn't a very popular opinion. But I think the big Middle East conflict just has come down to who does falafel better, you know? Uh-huh. Because you have all these Israelis who they, they do falafel best, and you have the Palestinians who think they do falafel best, and it's like... Everybody thinks they are the best. <laughs> I know, but if they could just agree that falafel is falafel and let the ball roll where it lay, then we wouldn't have these problems, you know? Because... I have... Uh, I have... Uh a uh, friend of mine who lives in Mankato, Minnesota. A oh, beautiful place. Which is, uh, he makes the best chicken shawarma in the world. Oh, really? How does he do it? I have no idea, man. Do you think it's like a state secret? I, this is, well, they own a restaurant in uh, a resort area in Lebanon. Oh, wow. Well, that, that, that sure and helps. They are I'm very sure. famous. They are very famous from the 30s, and that, you know, he has that, that particular dish that they are known for. Mm-hmm. Hold a second, will you? Sure, no problem. I need to take this call, if I may. Please send me an email. Okay, great. Uh, well, I'll yeah, send you an email. About your company. I'll about send you your a, company and so on. Sounds good. I'll send you that. I'll send you the falafel sampler, and I'm going to get Jeff Spurrier on the line here in just a second, and we'll have, we'll have him. I can maybe call back and have him talk to you. Sounds good. Well, that will be fine. Thank okay, you. Okay, great. Thanks, Gus. Yeah, bye-bye. Okay, okay so welcome here to Twisting the Wind Show. <laughs> Uh, welcome to Twisting the Wind. I'm speaking with Jeff Spurrier. Jeff Spurrier, you're a journalist, right? I'm a journalist. I would say journalist first and foremost. And yeah. we, came, became, we came to know each other through uh, Garden. You came to my community garden, and you have done a significant amount of writing about plants and about gardening and uh, all things of that nature. Mm-hmm. More than I deserve, I'm sure. Yeah. I was just thinking on the way here, like how much I can't stand that word plants. Cause it's like, <laughs> is, that, is there a better word for plants than plants? I don't think there is uh, something green in your garden that's not a weed yeah. that you care about. But it's like I want to say like you're something writer, but like to say I could call you a plant writer, I feel like is sort of sort of garden writer. Garden, garden writer? writer, yeah. I was actually persuaded to join the Garden Writers Association last year. There's a Garden year. Writers Association? There is a Garden Writers Association. The GWA. The GWA based in the northwest somewhere. Oh, cool. They love gardening up there because they've got so much goddamn water. <laughs> they can, like, they're so, they're so liberal with their gardening. Yeah. So what can I tell you about? Well, you can gar- tell me all kinds of stuff. Like, you, <clears throat> when we first started talking, I think... I think we talked about uh, like mushrooms in the garden and stuff like that. But you've, for a while, you've been talking about all kinds of rare plants and things that people are growing in Southern California that are from far-flung regions or super exotic for the region, right? The 
Yeah, I do this series for the LA Times, which goes online and appears in the paper on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. And they're short posts. Um, the series is called Global Garden. The conceit is that Los Angeles is a, in California, but Los Angeles especially, is this polyglot city of immigrants mm-hmm. that have come from all over the world. And when people come to a new place, they bring in their own plants with them because they want to eat them. They grow them for beauty. They grow them for ritual reasons, heritage reasons, all kinds of motivations. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the idea. It's like I had been to all these community gardens in L.A. the year before, in 2010-11, I think. That's like a long-running piece. It's all online. You can see all the stuff. You can see all the stuff online. The the, the first series I did for the Times was on becoming a master gardener Mm -hmm. because I know nothing about gardening. And... I didn't know it was going to change my life so much. I thought mm-hmm. I was just going to be like this gig that I would have for two months, and that would be great. I'd, mm-hmm. you know, every week I'd have a, have a job. Um, that turned into a series on a year in the community garden in Los Angeles, which sent me to about 40 of the local community gardens. There's more than, there's probably 90 community gardens in right. L.A. now. Um, L.A. is kind of ideal for community gardens because it's flat. We get a lot of sun. Great weather. Great weather. Um, zone, three, zone three, seven? Are we zone seven? Seven or eight? I'm seven not sure. Eight, yeah. It, it depends. There's like microclimes and stuff. Yeah, there's microclimes everywhere. I mean, I just, one of the most popular pieces I did recently was on coffee. You can grow coffee here. You can grow your own tea here. You know, it's a pain to harvest and to prepare, but, but you, you can, can do, do it. it. That's you the uh, cam- Camellia sinensis. Is that right? That's right. That's yeah. the tea. Yeah, I'm a big tea drinker, so it's like one of my favorite Latin uh, plant words. They we when I, we were just in India last year, and we went to a tea plantation, a couple of them, and I got to see it there growing, right. and it's just, it looks just like it does here. It's you know, mm-hmm. maybe it tastes better there because it's at altitude. Altitude, I don't know. yeah. But any rate, the community garden, doing the community garden posts, I started meeting all these gardeners from all these different nationalities mm-hmm. and locales. And asking them about what are you growing, you know, what's in your plot. You get tired of talking about tomatoes and they pull out stuff that I'd never heard of or I'd never seen before. And I'd always ask them, how do you use this? How do you prepare it? And that turned into the the Global Garden Series, which Mm -hmm. is strictly about one plant per week. It's an unusual plant that can be grown in Los Angeles. You can get the seeds for it. It's not illegal. I haven't done pot yet. That's like I'm kind well, of saving the, pot. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the weird thing. I mean, you sent me this awesome list. This is about 50 plants in here. And some of it I recognize. Some of them I'm just like, what is this? And I said that we'd if we ever hit a, uh, a dead patch in the, in the podcast here, I'd just shout out one of these <laughs> words. I'm looking at it right now, and I see a word. Wow. <laughs> oh, Lao. What is that? Lao is uh, – actually, Lao, I think, is Vietnamese or Cambodian. Seems I'm like not it, sure. yeah. It's a name that means gourd. And okay. the, the Lao gourd is a very long gourd. And I, I found this guy. I saw it up in the North Valley, up near Simi Valley, where there's a, a bunch of Bangladeshi gardeners at a community garden. Mm-hmm. And it's called Salad Bowl. Um, and then right up the street from me in Echo Park, I found this Taiwanese engineer who had <laughs> Lao in his backyard hanging from a trellis. These fruit are like you know it's like three fu- feet long right yeah they're giant they're giant they make them into musical instruments oh i didn't know in about some that. parts of, of well, asia how, how thick are they i don't know i didn't i've never cut Weird. one but 
they use them for carrying water. They use them for musical instruments. They eat them when they're smaller. Yeah. Um, they're sweeter than cucumber. Um, they hold together better than cucumber if you're using them in a stew. And they grow super well. And they make a canopy, which is nice. Yeah. So I'm all about the can. Wow, that's interesting. So that's that's loud. So you say you haven't written about marijuana, but aren't some of these some of these uh, plants in here are psychoactive, aren't they? Like some things have like weird sort of side effect psychoactive activity, like um, foxglove. Foxglove, okay. And valerian, they're both poisons. Right. Um, I think uh, isn't foxglove the basis for digitalis, which is the okay digitalis, which is a heart medicine, heart right? medicine, yeah, and, it's, and it's used it's an ancient medicine, yeah, ancient medicine, and it's used for in mystery books for killing somebody, right? Well, digitalis. So that's I think this is actually this this is the one piece of really awesome trivia I know. But uh, one of my friends' dads was a um, a dermatologist, but he was like a he did a lot of lab work and he collected all these old prescription bottles, and he loved to he loved to talk, you know, mm-hmm. and he had this um bottle an old bottle of digitalis and he said that it came the word the latin word comes from the fact that the the plant's leaves look like fingers mm-hmm. and i guess that's why it's you know digit digit yeah, yeah sure. so it's a digitalis something like that i think that's the idea but I, yeah so valeria that's also used for because the heart medicine so that means it's like a it's a type of nitroglycerin or some sort it's like a i yeah i don't know either okay don't know we should just talk. We should just talk like we know and spin it into a. We can spin it into negative knowledge. Yeah, uh-huh, there we very go. Very quickly. Isn't cassava considered? Isn't that psychoactive to some extent, or no? A lot of these. Um, I think cassava is one that you have to. Um, you have to kind of cure the root before you okay. eat it. Uh, I saw cassava. I was in Africa for two years, and you, they eat a lot of it there. Mostly, mm-hmm. they eat the leaf, but the the root, the tuber, you dig up and you pound. And you gotta kind of soak it in water, and I think right. then they eat, they eat it that way. But you know, there are a lot of potential points. I mean, people yeah. say don't eat tomato leaf. That's true because that's uh, it's part of the nightshade family, and right. it's you know for for thousands of years people thought that uh, tomatoes were poisonous, and then someone thought they were found that they were delicious. I have a friend who doesn't eat tomatoes; she only eats the leaf. She really? uses the leaf like lettuce on sandwiches. Weird. And I'm saying like. You know, really? You're going to do that? Okay. See, I, I have a borage growing in my garden. And it's something where I grow just to attract bees, but something where I know you can eat the borage, the flowers, and the leaves, but yeah. it's so prickly, I just can't imagine eating it. It's like eating like a bunch of sandpaper or something. Or... Cut off the flower right. and uh, make it like an, an ice cube tray and put like a couple of flowers in each one tray. And in the summertime, you use it as like an ice cube. With like a little touch of the of the borage citrus sweetness, really? okay, and it looks pretty and you know martini type, nice type thing. That's a little trick there. I, Wait, so where were you in Africa? I was in Sierra Leone. That's where I met my wife, and she was a student. She went to Beloit, as a matter of fact, in Wisconsin, and right. she, all of her relatives are in Minnesota. Okay, I'm and from Minnesota. We talked about this previous to the podcast, yeah. previous to record, <clears throat> um, and. I was there for a year, and I was actually a farmer there. The the Peace Corps trained me to be a farmer, but really all I did was smoke a lot of weed and <laughs> okay. ride my motorcycle around and and kind of wonder what I was doing there. You Doesn't know, sound to, too bad though. That's kind of what you're supposed to do, right? Kind of wonder. Yeah, a little bit. when you're when you're when you're twenty one, twenty two, you yeah. should you should leave this country. I mean, everybody should yeah, leave this country. You got to get out and uh, and see. What Sierra Leone, Sierra Leone at that time was pretty. I mean, because it's become. In and out of civil war for a while, right? It, yeah, it was then. I, it, it was it had it was an independent country. It had been colonized by the British. It was the Fever Coast, 
and so they didn't take slaves from was there. It, they let them go there. Is that because of, was that reference like to malaria? Or to malaria what? and dengue fever. There's Ugh. like four or five different types of malaria I know of. Um, malaria is pretty nasty, but mm. not, doesn't, didn't kill you. At least that strain didn't. Right. Um, and it was, it's red laterite soil. So it's. So what does that mean? Well, the older the soil is, um, the more iron there is frequently. Okay. And when mountains get beaten down, you, you result in this red soil, which mm -hmm. can be really good for growing, but it's heavy in iron and they can lack other nutrients as well. And that's how everybody grew everything there. It was like you did, the, everything was covered in this fine red dust. Really? And it was a, I mean, it was a country kind of like Mexico where there's poverty and there's inequality and yet there is so much food growing in the jungle next to the roads. Mm -hmm. People don't starve to death. You know? they, they don't. They can always go and find something somewhere. You know, So it was inspiring that I felt kind of like a charlatan because I knew I was an English major. I went to UC Berkeley. I knew nothing about gardening or mm -hmm. agriculture. But I was a white face in a black culture and an American, not British. And therefore, kind of trustworthy in terms of taking money from the farmers for fertilizer or getting British, a plow to come in. And, you're seen as like a colonist or something. Well, like yeah, they, they, there's a little resentment, right. although a touch, a touch. But people in Sierra Leone are so incredibly sweet. They're mm. like, there's, I didn't experience racism until I came back to this country. You know, wow. I was like, but that's another story. Um, now, Sierra Leone was interesting. It was. Uh, it was it was it was odd trying to basically persuade people, non-literate farmers who had done the way their way of growing mm -hmm. that they had learned from their Just ancestors. Passed down through Yeah, passed down and say, No, no, you're doing it wrong. Here, <laughs> you know, do it this way and you'll get a lot more out of it. And and I was just, you know, they they had tribal my my associates, my Sierra Leonean, I guess, liaison people were Weed from... Weed dealers, no. <laughs> no. No, they were, they were actually, they were actually agriculturalists. <laughs> they, uh, they came from the Ministry of Agriculture and they were from two separate tribes that didn't like each other. And it's a very tribal society. Mm -hmm. And so part, also part of my job being an outsider was to like make sure that there's no conflict and that one tribe didn't take precedent over another one. Everything was distributed equally, but like I say, I didn't, I don't really feel like I did much, you know, I had a good experience being mm -hmm. abroad. I saw leprosy and a lot of death and, and, but that, that's good for you. Yeah. When you're you 20 to, and you think you can live forever, you know? Right. You have to see the, uh, the fallout from a normal life. From not normal life. life but, yes. From life in general. Fallout from, um, imperialism. But it, and it's odd in doing the community garden series for the Times. I've been to all these community gardens mm -hmm. all over LA. I mean, it's been a great education that way because I went to neighborhoods I never would have gone to otherwise, and right. and, and met people that I never would have met otherwise, obviously. But the most, I would say, the best gardeners that I met were always Asian or Mesoamerican. I never met any Africans. I've rarely met Middle Easterners, mm -hmm. um, 
which I lack. I would really like to find a garden where there's a lot of Persians or there's Arabs. Not a, I think there's not, except for like uh, the Persians who live in like west part of Los Angeles. I think there's not like a huge Arab population here, is there? This is as far as I know. Arab, no. Persian, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, L.A. is outside of Tehran, I think, is the, yeah. is the biggest Persian demographic in the, in the world. Right. But they maybe they have their own gardens in the back. I did find one garden. There's one, there's one great nursery up in, it's called Paradise Nursery, up in Sun Valley. And the, the man who started it is Persian. He was trained to be, a, I think he was trained to be a doctor. Um, but he was just in love with gardening. Right. He went to Italy and went and studied uh, agriculture there. And he has all, he had all these great Persian you know, uh, mulberry and uh, Persian lemons, which are sweet. You can actually bite them wow. and eat them like an apple if you want. Some people don't like them. Um, mm. And specialty fruit, obviously. Right. But when it comes to like things like, you know, what about not trees? What about vegetables? What about things that you can buy the seed this year and, and eat on it? You don't have to have like a plot of land for 20 years. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, and that's what I haven't found. You know, I... I Fenugreek is one of those. We were talking about that earlier. The fenugreek. Fenugreek. Okay. You can buy fenugreek. Be sure you don't get the kind that's colored. All right. But it's called methi in India, and I saw this wonderful online video that this woman made of how you can sow the fenugreek in like an, uh, a used craft services tray. Okay. You know, it's like funky and been cleaned out. Yeah. Three inches of soil. You scatter the seed, you water it, and you can be eating off of it in ten days. Three inches weeks. of soil. Three, four so inches of soil. Is that you eat like the uh, like the shoots or the, like the very yeah, young plant? Yeah, you're kind of like eating the shoots, and the, and it's super good for you. It's it's, it's a cool taste. I've had some. I only had it a couple times. One of those tastes where you're like, wait, what is this? Is this like a? Cause it tastes really weird. It tastes, it tastes like it, it tastes caraway a little strange. meets dill meets mint or something. That's the yeah. seed. That's the seed. If you're eating the leaf, it's not quite as strong. Okay. And the more it's a cut and come again thing where you mm-hmm. can cut it and just like, you know, three days later, you can come back and cut the same plant, you know? Man, I'm going to try this now because I like, I feel like my garden's getting pretty significantly boring. Like, <laughs> it's I a, grow a lot of varieties, but I don't have anything like crazy going that's, uh, you know, nothing on your list. I don't think I have anything on the list here. Oh my God. That's, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, this is, is I'm growing some aloe. I can say that aloe, but that's sort of just, it's kind of a natural thing in LA. That's here. a volunteer. That'll, yeah. that'll pop up. Amaranth. 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 Yeah. That's like a, a an ancient grain, I believe. Isn't it? That's an ancient <laughs> grain. That is, is, it's big in all of Mesoamerica. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different varieties, although the first time I saw it was at a, a Janice Kubo's place. She's a, a gardener out in the East Valley and very, very active. Um, and she had huge amaranth. And it makes this... Big seed head, you know, mm-hmm. that can be like a foot, a foot yeah, and a half it's long. Massive. It massive. Looks, it looks like a, there's one variety I know, it's called elephant's head, mm-hmm. and there's a reason for that. Yeah. They're giant. You can shake off the seed, mm-hmm. and basically, you have to winnow the seed a little bit. You have to get the husk off of it. But then it's good good to go. I mean, you can mm-hmm. put it in your fridge, you can put it on cereal, it's super high protein. You Would can you say that uh, amaranth is the next quinoa? I don't know. I think goji is the next quinoa. You think so? Isn't but goji's a berry though, right? Yeah, but it is. But it but quinoa. I don't know. If, I've never talked to anybody about growing quinoa. I've looked for chia, yeah. but people grow chia, you know, wild. Chia, 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 yeah. 
Emory, I think goji is one of these things that is fairly easy to grow and the fruit is so expensive. Yeah, it's ridiculously expensive. I found actually, there's a little goji tip, is if you're into goji berries, you can buy them from uh, Bird Pick Tea. They sell goji berries for much cheaper than you get them otherwise because they sell them at like a tea weight price. Really? And it's like, I think they're much cheaper. So I buy them there and put them in my tea sometimes. I also just eat them straight up. That's, I mean, in, in China, they, they say, you know, one or two goji berries a day are like the key to longevity. Just one or two? And they're so small. Just one or two. They're like the size of like a, like a pill. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you can just swallow them like a pill, I guess. Most swallow a goji berry like it's a, like it's your Adderall or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. They are, they are tasty though. I do like the taste of them. They're kind of, some people, some people don't like them because they're so, they're kind of chewy. They're very chewy. They're yeah. raisiny. Yeah. They so are. how do you? I've never seen them in the wild. Like, what does a goji plant look like? It's a vine. It's a um, vine. Okay. Yeah, I went to. I met this uh, this woman who was studying Chinese medicine at the Echo Village uh, around Vermont, and she was renting. But she'd broken her broken her leg in a bike accident in Arizona. Long story. She had a really vibrant goji berry, and I went there to go look at it. Her her landlady. She'd been away for a month, and the landlady had chosen that weekend that I was coming to totally oh. tear up the backyard, her goji berry. When the woman saw it, she was, I mean, she was crying the entire time. It was, I, I totally could relate. It yeah. Was, it was like... That's the thing that happens. It's happened to me before where it's like if you're renting and you're growing, it's just like someone doesn't know that that little thing there took forever to get to where mm-hmm. it is, and the fact that it's existing at all is amazing. Like I've had... um. I can't remember what I had ripped up, but now it's like it's been it's been good lately. But now I have a bunch of uh, volunteer loquat seedlings that oh. just happened, literally from me eating them on the porch, spitting them out, mm-hmm. and then they're just next thing you know, you have like a seedling. I have one that's about two feet tall now from a just from they'll a volunteer. They'll get giant. Those loquats. Yeah. They'll get big. Big fan of the loquats. That's a that's a great fruit. I think that's the, one of the most under. Uh, Underutilized, under-tasted fruits that there is because they're everywhere in LA. They're like, they're like you know, people hate them because they're just so prolific. And they were a trend in the '40s and '50s. Loquat was really? like, yeah, oh, okay. it was like a major trend of, of oh, put the loquat tree in your front yard and it's tropical fruit, etc. And that's true, but it will also get very, very big, and you mm-hmm. can't harvest it after it gets about ten feet high. You got to get a ladder or something, yep. or keep it trimmed, or just climb up in there. That's what my brother and I did. We harvested about fifty pounds to make wine that tasted like shit. <laughs> from the uh, that's one of my favorite uh, Latin words too. From the it's the I think it's the embryo. Uh, I can't think of what it is. It's embryota japonica. I think uh-huh. what it is or something. Is that like what that. it is? Yeah, which I don't I don't know exactly where that comes from, but yeah, I think I like to collect the um, the Latin words of certain plants that are. Uh-huh. Some are better than others, you know. Some are really boring and like hard to say. Some are like very poetic. I feel like, mm-hmm. like I feel like appropriately that uh, Papaverum soniferum is a uh, very oh, yes, that's, that's very sort of just what it is, right? Yeah, it sounds like what it does, which is uh, yeah, it's just you, opium poppy. Uh-huh, yeah. Put you to sleep. Mm-hmm. I haven't done that yet. I do do know friends that are that are growing those poppies. And when I went out to Sepulveda Garden, when I was doing the community garden series, and the Sepulveda Garden Center is like one of the oldest and biggest in LA. It's Where huge. is that? Sepulveda and like... It's Van Nuys. Uh, okay. It's right next to the to the 101 freeway. Uh, it's sh- it's protected from the freeway by these massive redwoods. Hmm. You know, it's like, I haven't seen redwoods that big. Are they coast stuff. redwoods? Or are they like, um... I have no idea, but they're beautiful. 
And the freeway is literally 50 feet away, and you don't wow. really hear it or see it much. And it's an enormous garden. I don't know how many gardeners. They must have four or 500 gardeners or more. But is it a community garden or a nursery? or what is, it's, it's a, a community garden. Oh, cool. 500, it's, uh, that's a lot, man. It's, um, it's one of, there was a series of community gardens that all started in the 70s during mm-hmm. Carter. And kind of like a little bit of the oil shock, feeling of yeah. self-sustainability, and, and also the feeling is kind of a carryover from, from Lyndon Johnson, Great Society type stuff, right. of like oh, not quite welfare, but kind of like getting the inner city to revive itself. Well, and the oil shock was a big, definitely a big thing, a big, it, great, it, kind it, of a great thing, really. But yeah, it, I mean, it, it could have been a wake-up call of some sort. It was supposed to be, but... But a lot of these gardens started in that period. Mm-hmm. Ocean View Farms started then or a little bit earlier. Uh, I think Main Street started then. And Sepulveda Garden Center, which is the, the main garden center if you live in the valley. Okay. You, that's where the Rose you know, community gathers, where the Palm Society gathers. Wow. They have their monthly meetings there because they have a big hall. Some dorks. <laughs> and so, but it's surrounded, the palm dorks. <laughs> it's surrounded by, by these, these plotted... You know, fenced in, you know, community garden plots. And they're really quirky and kind of weird and kind of, you know, a little bit of white trashy looking, you know, kind of crazy looking. Right. Which I I prefer myself. Me too, absolutely. And I out there in one of these plots, I saw some, I said, oh my God, that looks like opium poppy. And Mm -hmm. I look closer and somebody has very carefully slid the edges. and scored the pods. Yeah, man, you're not going to get enough. You're going to get a tiny, tiny, tiny little dribble. But they had planted it. They'd thought about it. They'd harvested it. So I thought, Mm -hmm. well, you know, good for them, you know. Yeah. There's like a great Michael Pollan article about that, a really long one about the whole, just the whole opium culture in America, how it's this amazing um, amount of disinformation that the government has been spreading for years now Mm. about like, you know, you can't grow them here. It's impossible to have to be grown in the mountainous Uh, regions. It's like, uh, oh, that's so untrue. (laughs) Chances are your grandmother is growing Uh opium poppies. And and also, um, any type of time, anytime you have poppy seeds, anything, those are from opium poppies. They're Probably. not from a special poppy no. at all. It's like it's this weird thing where it, they've been pretty good at spreading this idea that you you can't grow them and they don't grow and it's like a special type of variety when actually it's the most yeah. common variety and the prettiest kind and the yeah. most robust the kind is the kind beautiful. that gives out the most uh, the most drug juice. Mm-hmm. You have to have a special knife. Oh yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. I think that's a, it. A magical it's only available from from Bechtel for like forty seven dollars. Right, you have to have a magical. It has to been blessed by like a downed warrior. It has uh-huh. to have been passed through the the intestines of a sheep on a full moon, and then maybe it can extrude the alkaloid uh-huh. that will provide um, pain relief for you if used in amounts that can only be grown in like a. Uh, five acre farm of course yeah so. i wonder i wonder if if there are like community gardens in colorado now that are like doing that for marijuana because yeah, it's legal now mm-hmm. and i was have just, to be i, I was just at a, at a friend's backyard and she's a caregiver and she had she had um marijuana plants there and i thought you know when is this gonna start popping up a little bit more visibly because mm-hmm. uh, especially someplace like like Washington or Colorado where right. they've taken the stigma and, and the sting out of it right. to a certain degree. But... I think uh, it will. I mean, it's. I think in general, just like the whole growth of the community gardens in general has 
kind of created that. Like, do you feel like that's happening more? Like, there's there's like a resurgence in that and um, and growing locally. Um. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, the when 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 we we talked about landlords ripping out gardens, right? And we have this house in Mexico, and we're thinking about it. Anne's taking her mother down there to to a residency home, and. If I did that, then I we'd have to rent our our place in Echo Park. Mm-hmm. But we have this great garden there, right? And don't landlords see that a garden, an edible garden in your front yard, is a benefit? It's like a parking space. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, a- I mean, it's like why would you take out something like that that is going, that is vibrant, that is alive, that mm-hmm. only takes maintenance to keep going and provide some entertainment to whoever is living there and food, possibly. Right. You know, so. It's growing locally is huge. I mean, there's there's been series of stories. Every time there's a new community garden that goes in some place, they talk about how it improves the land values. Right. I mean, you don't have to be in the community garden to have your land value go up because there's one down the street. Right. And they did that. They they did put in one community garden in Glassell Park, I think it was. There was a drug house there. Oh, it's on Drew Street? Is yeah, yeah, famous? yeah, Drew Street. Yeah, the Drew Street. The, they, they, they burned the place down. They right. raised it. and then The they city put, bought the property to destroy it because it was such a problem house. Yeah, Right, and they cool put it in story. the community garden. And I went by there thinking, that. oh, this oh. will be a, a great, you know, uplifting story. Right. But nobody was using it. They're probably still scared failed. to, I, bet, I suppose. Possibly. I mean, who mm. knows? I mean, that, that could be a... I mean, yeah. community gardens really do impact on the locals. Mm-hmm. They really bring the locals together in a way that they never had done before. I mean, you live across the street from yours, right? right? Mm-hmm. And now you know people in the neighborhood that you didn't know before? Is I that do. true or not? I do. There's definitely, I mean, it's, grow- it's growing more and more. I feel like there's more, um, there's people, there's like grandmas and stuff who I wouldn't know normally yeah. who I do now because of that. And yeah. that's like, but it just took a while though. It took a good year of it just being a, cu- a couple of random like um i don't know what you, what you call that type of person but like the, the people who are people with like media jobs who are yeah. you know like they have so, a funny schedule yeah is that what you mean like entertainment yeah. people people entertain people who have like a good amount of money and are sort of like you know they're like hip a certain type of hipster basically uh-huh. you know without kids yet right those are the being the people who are there, yeah. and now it's like now I feel like it's actually a community garden where you have, you know, the old ladies in there growing their um, different things that they want to grow, mm-hmm. and some, we have a bunch of kids in there, like families were coming to there. So now I feel like it's actually become into I, it. yeah what it's supposed to be. It just took a while because I think people were people always walk by like what is going on here, what's happening here, uh-huh. and then eventually they you know they got their plots and stuff, and they realized that oh this is. Super cheap and really easy and close by, and I can you know grow whatever I want to grow and um, yeah. You're lucky about that because um, Kathy is that her name? Your yeah. um, Cindy. Cindy. Yeah, I always call her Kathy um, because she's the owner. Yeah, you know. There's... Yeah, it's a pretty. We have a pretty uh, unique spot there because she yeah she can do whatever she wants because it's her. She literally owns. She the, literally owns, owns it, and and I'm, I was just talking to uh, Kip Wood. He's uh he set up the Venice Community Garden, which is a beautiful. I'm sure it's amazing. Yeah, it was. It's like on a single uh, lot. They had major soil issues. There really, be- what kind of issues? Well, the the lot that they that they got to use sounds like to me. I'm not sure this is accurate, but it sounds like to me it was used as the 
construction site for all the houses around. As a result, you have a lot of lead. Oh, no. Who knows yeah. what else kind of crap is in that soil right. because the people are building stuff on that land it's and leaching. then assembling. Yeah. So they did the soil test. It came back so full of lead. The tester said he wouldn't let his kids walk on the soil. What? Wouldn't let them play in the soil. So they, they freaked out. And this is when they were just getting the, getting the garden going. There was a city crew down the street ripping up something. They got them to come up the street with their bulldozer or, and help them haul out like a foot of soil. Like a whole foot of topsoil. Yeah, whole foot of top, which is a lot, a lot of yeah, dirt. That's like a couple of million tons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was <laughs> like a major headache. Yeah. Replaced that soil and then again tested it and it was like still funky. Yeah. So they did raised beds instead. People don't, you know, I mean, the raised bed's going to be safe because you're not touching the soil, really. And the garden is incredible. I mean, it's such okay. a healthy, vibrant, well-used garden. The owner of the lot basically gave them, a, you know, a couple of years. He didn't really commit. It was sort of open-ended. And now he wants to sell. Uh -oh. he's, he's And so... He's putting on the market, I think, two point three million. Wow, that's a lot of money. Is the asking price? It's in Venice. Yeah, it's you can't, you couldn't get that money together. Well, they they thought they could because it's so much money. Well, they were hoping that a corporate angel would step in and mm -hmm. say, "Oh, this will be the Google Garden or whatever." Yeah. But that hasn't happened. I haven't talked to him in about a month, month and a half. Time to get Daryl Hannah and some chains out there. Well, that's that's <laughs> what they need. I mean, there's. And they searched around Venice and Santa Monica looking for empty lots because there are so many empty lots in L.A. that are flat empty lots that you can right. get a list of. You can find out where the empty lots are, make a deal with the city. But someplace like Venice, where it's so built in, mm -hmm. where the land prices are so expensive, it's like it's, it's a harder nut to crack. And I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to do. There's one other community garden over there. There's Ocean View. There's three in Santa Monica, and there's one in Marina del Rey that's tiny. But in hmm. Culver City, which is also kind of like not happening that much as, as much as I could tell. It's also on a small lot. But do you feel like there is like a, a larger pro, proliferation of those in general over the past like like 10 years or so since sort of like the – because like the oil market has changed – dramatically like we're paying more for a lot more for gas than we did 10 years ago and just i think from my perspective it seems like people are waking up a little bit in terms of the idea of like sustainability and things like that and, well, and, and people are aware of gmo goods right and you know kind of shopping organic and all that mm -hmm. that kind of like push that the that sort of is Got going in the 60s, right. I want to say, a little bit, a little, the, the back to the country movement in the, at the end of the 60s. And growing your own became a thing to do, mm -hmm. if you will. But the, the ones that are doing it now are the kids of that generation. Right. You know, they're Gen Xers, Gen Ys, Millennials. That's what I noticed when I, when I started this whole gardening process of my own. And one of the first people I talked to was Al Renner at the, uh, the Community Garden Council. And I said, how many community gardens are there in L.A.? And he says, oh, you know, we have a list of about 75, but there's a lot more that are off the radar. Yeah. And as I looked, I started finding that's true. I mean, churches have community gardens that, that, that they grow things only for 
their church members. Maybe it's 10 guys. Right. And that's, that's it. Are they on some list somewhere? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But it's still kind of a community garden. And with, the, with, with Mich- Michelle Obama, it's like ratcheted, ratcheted it all up. Right, because she put one in the, uh, the White House, right? She put one in yeah. the White House. She put a garden in the White House that was organic. She made it, you know, I don't want to say sexy to get on your knees in the dirt, but, you know, she made it yeah. okay, yeah. you know, with your kids to get – and, and like, there was, a, there, I, there was a community garden up in um, – in Pasadena, Altadena, Altadena, maybe it is. And there's two of them. There's Monterey Road East and West. There's these two community gardens started by these kids. I want to say kids. I don't want to say kids. These young people just graduated from UC Santa Cruz, a couple of kids, and wanted to do something for Glendale. And that's where it is. Glendale It's not Altadena. And so they started this garden. It's right at the entrance to a freeway. Nobody could really build on this triangular-shaped lot because it's right at an on-ramp. It's like traffic goes past there day in and day out. It's like a dead zone, yeah. It's kind of a dead zone. And the city was parking their, their trucks on it okay. for years. That's what a lot of these empty lots are. They're city parking spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they built this garden. They put a little demonstration natural garden, I mean, natives out front to try and entice the the neighbors on this sort of high-end right. hillside area to like look at this and say, oh, we don't have to have grass. We can have natives or we can do veggies. You right. know, we can do both. And they had somebody crash into their front front gate. And I said, well, how did that happen? Are you worried about, you know, people getting on the on-ramp and taking it too fast? She said, no. There's a woman I talked to said, no, I think it was just that the garden is so beautiful it attracts your eye. <laughs> she said, I was in here one night late you know, watering or staking, doing something. And these these guys that look like vatos, you know, with yeah. like bandanas, were outside the gate saying, hey, hey, lady, let us in, let us in. We want to come in. And she said like, well, you know, she was by herself. You know, who are these guys? And said, we're chefs. We want to, <laughs> we want to see what you're growing. And so oh, she let them in. <laughs> and they walk in and they said, oh, my God, look at this. I've never seen this growing in the ground. These were all like... Oh, wow. Guys who are working in kitchens already yeah. who didn't, who used the finished product but had never seen it in the ground and were like flabbergasted. And it's like, I, I kept hearing these kind of stories as I would go to these community gardens and say, who, who do you have growing here? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. the, who's buying things? I mean, the community gardens in LA, they're kind of like Disneyland. I mean, if, if they were open to the public, you mm-hmm. can imagine, you know. The only one that's really kind of open is is Main Street. And that's the only kind of tourist spot community is garden. Is it Santa Monica? It's in Santa Monica. Okay. If you're walking down Main Street and you're, uh, I guess it would be south of Pico, it's on the right-hand side. It's long. It's really old. Okay. It's it's city of Santa Monica owned. It's kind of like a residue of the hippie mm-hmm. community garden. So it's got a little funky stuff in there and you can walk through it. Cool. You can walk yeah. through it. Yeah, ours is pretty, ours is closed off, but I, I always keep the gate open when I'm in there. You know, I try to like, like, it's it's yeah. good. I mean, you know, if you're in there gardening by yourself, it's kind of you kind of do want to close off a little bit. I mean, that's kind of the appeal of community gardens is they gentrify a neighborhood, they improve mm-hmm. the neighborhood, and that's why people put them in. I mean, that's right. the, the the Fountain Avenue community garden was put in very much for that reason to it, clean it up. Yeah, yeah. there had been a trailer where they were like uh, cooking meth, 
and oh, then the, a fire had started there, and they were going to put in a uh, like a community hall gymnasium or something. But then the the recession happened, and it's so it's cheap to do the garden. The garden costs yeah. nothing, mm-hmm. you know, almost essentially costs nothing, right? You know, and plus it brings in all these people that are living in low rise apartment buildings, you know, fifteen people to a to an apartment, one bathroom. TV on all the time. It also puts like uh, people have take stake. It's something you can be um, you can be proud of, and you can ha- you want you want to defend it and make it special because yeah. it's you take stock in it as opposed to it just being like I live in this crappy apartment, I hate it, my life sucks. You have something. Oh, I'm growing this thing, so I really actually do care about it. I don't want it to, something bad to happen to it. So yeah. it's like this weird ownership, collective ownership that people actually care about for the first time yeah and and people can can uh you know you can if you don't have enough to eat and you don't want to go to the store you can always just go out to your garden right and find something you if know? you're if you're good enough you know, <laughs> well your neighbors might have yeah. something too i mean who yeah. knows you know, that's, that's the thing it's like i feel like i don't i always uh my growing patterns are weird it's like i grow like I'm really good at growing condiments or side dishes I always you know you don't grow greens i grow greens but i grow like I always have a lot of one thing where I'm like, you know, if we want to have if we want to have beans and just beans, we got it. <laughs> or if we want to have um, my biggest bumper crop was arugula, where it was like, oh. I had a hedge of arugula enough to where you could make pesto for uh-huh. like a thousand Italian restaurants, or just it's always like this one thing just takes off and to where. Well, yeah. I mean that's 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 it's seasonal, so yeah, of course. I I saw a huge hedge of arugula at Vermont Square and. One of the gardeners, he's he's from the um, West Indies. He didn't need it. He okay. said, you know, what's, what's some this? people hate it. Yeah. I'm, uh, I I crave it myself. Me too. I'm a I big fan. It. You know, when when we're down in Mexico, I pick wild arugula down there, and which is not as good, but you, it grows everywhere. Yeah. But there's actually a bunch of it growing by in some park by Dodger Stadium. I went to play wiffle ball there with some friends a year ago. They're like, wow, it smells like arugula here. I said, like, oh, we're walking on arugula. Uh-huh. It was everywhere. Just the whole ground was carpeted with little little shoots of it it was in the springtime but i'm like how could that possibly have happened how could all this arugula be there i don't i don't understand yeah. why of all the weeds i mean because it is a weed it's basically it's a weed, weed. It's yeah a weed. that's the thing that the, the weeds are that that word is like so such a misnomer well it's 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 a subjective definition yeah totally subjective except i mean some things i feel like aren't weeds because they don't grow like arugula will just grow like it just puts off so much it should put mm-hmm. all these shoots and stuff like that. Like you could even say strawberries are a weed to some extent if they let, if they get going, or raspberries grow like a weed. People consider yeah. blackberry a weed. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a. I'm, I'm doing something. I was going going to do something on a plant called romeritos, which they grow in in, in Mexico and Central America. It grows in salt flats. And oh. so it's really like kind of a marshy, badlands right. kind of plant. Um, but it's you can eat it, you can harvest it. It's grown for Christmas and Lent. It looks like 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 uh, rosemary, but it's much softer, and the taste is slightly different. It's, I mean, so many of the of the plants that I've seen are if I once I start to research them, I talk to a gardener. And I say, what are you growing and how do you use this? And then I go online or I go into my books. And, and so many of them are like, 
you know, pig, their, their synonyms are pigweed or <laughs> shitweed or something, you know, nothing you want to put in your mouth, but you know, there's always some use. It's kind of yeah. amazing, you know, switchgrass, switchgrass. <laughs> what do you do with switchgrass? I think it's used to uh, fuel, right? Yeah. You can um, make uh, like ethyl, you can make alcohol from it or something like that or biofuel or something like that. Mm-hmm. So we'll take a quick break here and we'll come back and talk about some more plants, plants. It sounds like you're having a really great time listening to Twisting the Wind. Oh, yeah, I freaking love it. <laughs> well, in that case, we'd love it if you would donate some of your treasure to us. Okay. No blood, just treasure, okay? Like, like some money. Yeah, that would be just great. That's going to allow us to keep making this show. Oh, yeah, I got when that. When I say us, I mean me and us and all of us together here, okay? Okay, 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 okay. <sighs> And we're back. <laughs> back with Jeff Spurrier, journalist, plant expert. Well, plant writing expert. Uh, writing about plants, expert at writing about go, plants. Writing about plants expert. And I've got this uh, list he gave me. These are all things you've written about. These are all different types of plants that people have grown in Southern California that are not your average plants. And we're going to talk about some of his favorites he's written about. Um, you said that you really were interested in um, the... Hoja Santa, which is H-O-J-A space Santa. Yeah. Hoja means leaf in Spanish. Hoja. So it's sacred leaf. Got it. And the reason I like this, is the very, there's, this was the very first plant that I picked Got to it. write about uh, in this series. Part of the reason I did that was because the series was spun off of this community garden series mm-hmm. that I had done for the LA Times. Before I'd even started that, before I knew anything about gardening... Before I'd taken the community, uh, the master gardening class, I went on a bike tour with Joe Linton, who does the the bicycle tours the LA River, and he was going to do a, a tour by bike of community gardens around downtown LA. One of which we went to was the Francis Avenue Community Garden, which I returned to later for my series. And this is primarily a this is a small community garden. In the densest square mile of Los Angeles, which is, I think, the third densest square mile in America. Which is where, exactly? It's uh, Princess Avenue. It's east of USC. It's okay. south of 7th or 8th Street. Oh, um, east, right? Pardon me? It's got to be at least south of that, right? It's, it's close to to Echo Village, Vermont. It's It's just a little bit east of there. Okay. So it's kind of, it's a lot of... Low-rise apartment buildings. Mm. It's a lot of Central Americans and Mexicans. Um, there are residential, I mean, single-family homes as well, but that's primarily what it is, is right. people living in apartment buildings. They were the gardeners at this garden, and they were almost entirely women they, who would get out of their apartment house. They would use the garden as their daycare, and they built a little, they had a little pergola there, and um, Los Angeles, Nash, uh, Los Angeles, Land Trust Organization, mm-hmm. they had bought the land, they got the land and turned it into this garden. It's never going to not be anything but a garden because they own it now. A thousand years. God willing. Yeah. Um, so these women were there and they were gardening and I recognized this one plant. I said, oh, I have that in my garden in San Miguel mm-hmm. in central Mexico. That's Oja Santa. It's a big fat leaf. They call it the rootberry plant. Because when you crush the leaf, it smells—it smells like sarsaparilla, which is used in in, in root beer. In, right. uh, 
which literally is a root. Which literally yeah. is a root. Yes, it smell. It smells like it smells like that, um, and like a root beer float a little bit. It's this big, big fat leaf. I mean, the leaves are bigger than your palm, as, as big as your head. Wow. And my garden in San Miguel has a really healthy Oja Santa that a friend of mine brought from Oaxaca, where they're indigenous. And it's taken over the whole backyard as a canopy of Oja Santa. Oh, cool. So I was really happy to see this in this garden here on this bike tour. And I said to the woman, oh, that's Oja Santa. She said, she said, oh, you want some? And I said, oh, sure, fine. You know, thinking she'd break me off a little stem and I'd try to start a cutting. <laughs> she went out, got her shovel, dug down, get, got me a root ball of, you know, nice. huge root ball, which I put my knapsack, rode home with, with this giant plant sticking out the back that's one of the best ways to ride a bike i've done that a couple of times it feels really cool to have a plant sticking out, sticking out the back of yeah. your knapsack and you're just like are you okay i'm okay it's my radar man <laughs> <laughs> yeah look at the leaf is turning left i'm turning left um so i planted that and it's taken off it's still vibrant still healthy it wilts when it wilts i know that i need to water it's but a good is, indicator for that so what's it used for um in mexico well it's banned in this country. It is. Yes, you can. You're not. You're although you can buy the dried leaf. If you look it up on in plant books, they say poisonous. Do not. You know they poisonous. don't recommend it. I love that word because poisonous is what's said of anything that may have interesting attributes yes. that are not necessarily nutritious. <laughs> well, that's that's these. This has alkaloids that are supposed to not be good for you you're not not supposed to eat too much does it have a, an alternate word because i've never heard of it i feel like I've oha read... santa? No. no so it's just known as oha santa it's okay. just known as oha santa so and what you do with it is you have this big leaf mm -hmm. and you crack an egg a raw egg you put it in the center of it you cover the leaf you you cover the egg with the leaf and then you fry it in a pan and it's uh you get this wonderful sort of this taste is kind of indescribable. It's a little bit like root beer, but it's also green. And then an you have egg. the egg in the center, and you put a little sauce on that, and it's you you buy that for breakfast in Mexico for like fifteen dollars. So why is it illegal? I, it has some it has some some attributes that, that can make it poisonous to people that are you know allergic to it or have oh, reactions. So it's, it's not a it's psychoactive in, thing. It's not psychoactive. It's used in moles a lot. Okay. It's it's from Oaxaca. A lot of the things that I cover are from so the strange. They make it illegal because like there's all kinds of other things that are that are more poisonous than that that are Well, not it's not illegal. It's just that you it's not recommended. Mm -hmm. It's not rec it's not suggested that you grow it and eat from it. Okay. Although I do. Who knows, you know. Oha Santa. Oha Santa I like. That's that was that was the the plant I felt most I know, personally attached to, probably. Do you know if anyone growing any uh, salvia divinorum? What is that? No. I think that's the, what's the psychoactive salvia? There is it, a, I didn't know there was such a thing. It's, a, it's this weird thing. When I was in high school, you know, first learning about using drugs recreationally, we, we would take psilocybin mushrooms. I had a friend who grew, actually grew them mm -hmm. at his house. And, you know, he was like 16 years old growing these at his house. He's a very, very smart guy, you know. Somehow did this whole thing, but and I was I would always read on this website the Lysam, which is like a, mm -hmm. I think it's still around, but it's like a you know it's a drug form for people into that kind of stuff. And there's this one they always always talk about salvia divinorum, which is some South American um, 
herbaceous plant that's really boring. You know, it's like it's a relative of the common house plant, which mm-hmm. is like a salvia plant. And that and how how about these um all these ethnobotanists and people will go down there trying to like find the right way to take this because it's like it's very strong, but they can never figure out the dosage parameters. Like some people, someone would, would vaporize it and would do nothing, and then one person would like chew a little bit of it, and then they'd be on this like fifteen minute dream state for they come out of and be like, wait, I, well, they thought they had literally <laughs> Whose gone. clothes are these? <laughs> exactly. And so I, I remember like being thought this was so cool and I wanted to grow it because I knew you could grow it easily. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard to grow. Like in the summer in Minnesota, it's nice and moist. And But um, I could never find anyone to send me cuttings or anything. Fast forward about five years later, I hear about like kids who were younger than me in high school smoking. So they called it silky, which was they were smoking salvia divinorum. They are smoking salvia and they, um, I guess it's like somehow it had gotten to the point where it was like very common, like an alternative to weed almost. But it has, it has like this incredibly, incredibly intense high or something where some people have done it like they'll never even think about doing it again because it's something that just sends you like it makes it makes it like to where you're like almost like immobilizes you. I think sometimes I think it, I think it depends upon the person obviously uh-huh. and the dosage, but that's something that just came out of nowhere and became popular. But I think they've only recently maybe scheduled it. But it's something where it's a very com- – from what I read about, it's a common plant in Mexico and the Yucatan and all those areas on there because it's so – it grows in like a moist climate. It's a very boring, simple plant. But I don't know if it has like a co- – it must have a common name because salvia yeah, – people uh, aren't calling it salvia divinorum or, you know. I don't – I'll look it up when I get well, home. But I don't – I've never heard of it. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean – I mean – so much of, of what we have in this country came from Oaxaca mm-hmm. and came, came from the, not the Yucatan so much as, as the Isthmus because all that's where a lot of these plants developed or were first domesticated, like corn, corn. Was, was first domesticated there. Right. Same with all those, same with uh, sweet peppers. All those are mm-hmm. coming from the, uh, the jungles and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They just, it's, it's a great growing area. I don't know. Let's go ahead. Let's hit the list. What was the one, all the one you said that was you really like to talk about? Um, I think we, you mentioned, uh, what else we got here? There's, uh, let's talk about nettle, stinging nettle. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, stinging nettle, that was the, um, stinging nettle is, a, I am myself, I'm not a fan. Um, I see it now in the, in, in farmer's markets. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big thing for tea, right? People like nettle tea? No, I think, I think. People make tea out of it. You can use it medicinally. Uh, I think once you cook with it, it will not. Um, it, it it the sting goes out. Okay. Um, there was. I think that was another plant that I saw at Francis Avenue, where uh, I said, you know, this is a weed. Why why do you have this plant here? And mm-hmm. and they said, oh no, we hit children with that when they're you know what? like when they're four or five years old. If they have a trauma or a shock or something, yeah. you kind of strike the skin and if somebody has a trauma this takes the trauma away the memory goes away and apparently if you're not afraid of nettle just like a dog right Right. if you're not afraid of the nettle you can grip it and it will not sting you you have to not be conscious of the sting and grip it and you won't feel it but if you're like at all timid and like oh you know is that gonna hurt me then it will so it can read your mind. It it's can like read a, your mind. It smells you. I I I've seen it at some some community gardens have have I mean they have rules in community gardens. Some of them say no nettle allowed. No nettle. 
but um, I th- where was oh. it? Waddles, I think, was where I first saw it kind of grown mm-hmm. aggressively. And uh, somebody there told me, oh, it's because we have so many Russians. Because the Russians use a lot of nettle. They use it both in for bathing, for like when you take a sauna, you whip yourself with the nettle. So like to stimulate the skin or something? Yeah, it, or? exactly. Interesting. I had no idea. I have never, my, I've never been a fan of it. So I remember when I was growing up to have someone, they said that nettle's like a cure for an insect bite. You can put some of that on an insect bite or something. Take like out that. the itch? I replace so. it with the sting? Yeah. yeah well, that makes sense. I know, but I never tried it though. Um, purslane, that's pretty common, isn't it? It grows a lot. Yeah, I have, in fact, I have a purslane taking over in, in my... In my it's a creeper. It's a creeper. Uh, Verdulagas is what they call it in Mexico. You can find it in tiendas here in L.A. Go into the vegetable section. You'll see big, healthy strands of Verdulagas. And you can you chop it. You throw it in with uh, you know ground beef, ground pork, picadillo, stuff that you put okay. into a taco. Right. You can throw it in with there. Totally fine, full of iron, good for you. you know? So many of these things are... Turns out are really good for you, diabetes fighters, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cancer fighters in some way. So that's that's why people eat them. What about so many good ones in here? I just came and decide. Uh, what is mitsuba? Mitsuba is a Japanese green. Um, it's got uh, three leaves. That's why it's Mitsuba, because Mitsu is three in, in one counting form in Japan. And it's a very, I, I think it might be related to mint. I'm not sure, but it's kind of mint-like in, in mm. terms of how it grows. It's not as invasive as mint. Yeah, uh, mint, uh, warning, do not plant mint in your garden. No, well, plant it in your, in your plant container. Plant it in a pot. Plant it in a pot. Do not plant. It is like the Karl Rove of plants. <laughs> I love mint myself. I, I like. Well, yeah. I, I don't mean a uh, taste wise. I meant like a growth pattern uh-huh. in terms of like when you think it's gone, it pops up three feet away from where you last saw. Aggressive, it. <laughs> and incredibly aggressive. Tends to strangle out other plants living in the same area. Yeah, no, uh, no. that's my favorite political plant metaphor that I've ever come up with is uh, mint and Karl Rove. But um, it's it's good. People, you use it. You eat it in soups. You even eat it in miso soup. Okay, it's a very light. Taste, um, it's kind of like like shiso. I don't know if you ever had shiso, which is sesame leaf. Sesame right? leaf. That's what I'm reading from your sheet here. Yeah, I didn't shiso. Know that. But there are two types. Mm-hmm. There's more than two, probably. But there's a red shiso and a green shiso. And the red is used in Korean cooking. Um, they use it often in making uh, kimchi. Okay. And it's a big fat red leaf, whereas the green shiso, which is what they use in in Japan often. In uh, in sushi, it's a very it's a smaller leaf. It's like a dollar fifteen for ten leaves in Little Tokyo, mm-hmm. and the leaves are they're like half dollar size. They're not that big, but they have a very distinctive taste. There's no there's nothing that you can substitute for a shiso, and I adore shiso myself. I oh, mean, cool. I, I grow wherever I am. I try if I'm going to be there for a couple of months. I take some shiso seeds and I try and get it going. <laughs> You know, simply because you can eat it small, you don't need that much, and it's really, it's unusual. Just on white rice, it's fabulous. You, know? you do a lot of uh, cooking as well, right? I do a lot of cooking. I do so a lot of Asian cooking. What is your, like, uh, top 10 plants for the garden that you grow that are cooking? Related? Cooking plants? Yeah. Um, cooking plants, I would have to say 
lettuces, mm-hmm. and I, I would say, I would include in that arugula, mustard greens as well. Anything that I can go out and cut like three or four leaves from mm-hmm. and eat with that, that's going to be in the garden. Um, what else do I, do I plant a lot of? Tomatoes, but that's kind of like that's kind yeah, of a seasonal like, that's thing. That's your standby, right? Yeah. Um, I've never had good luck with garlic. I've never had good luck with potatoes, even though I've tried. Um, Me neither. What else? Why is that? I have no idea. I suppose I think there's certain plants that you have to abuse them to do well. It's like they want crap soil and they want neglect, and they do they do much better. That's kind of true. Yeah. That's kind of true. I, I would so it's agree hard to that. garden like carrots or. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not good with carrots. I, I, I think hey, I, I get impatient. Much. Well, I get impatient. I transplant too early <laughs> because I'm sure yeah. they must be crowded in there, and I've probably overwatered them. Once I transplant, things do better. I actually have a pineapple growing now that somebody out, out in um, Ocean View Farm showed me how to do. Super easy to Does grow the Dole pineapple. Corporation know you're doing this? Um, they, uh, they don't need to worry. <laughs> the they're really stars. easy to grow, pineapple. Does the Dole Corporation know you're saying this? They're, <laughs> they're very, and they taste so much better than, than the Dole ones. I can't oh imagine God. how much better they must taste. Because that's, th- that's a weird thing about pineapple. Is like, pineapple is almost like completely dominated by one, like the Hawaiian Dole is like, they grow 90% of the pineapples in the world. Right, and then yeah. you can grow your own if you Man. wanted to. Um, Isn't it, you only get one pineapple per plant, right? It's like it's a I, flower. No, it's a flower. It's like an artichoke. Right? You do, but it sends up pups on the side. Oh, it does. Okay. So, and it's beautiful. It's a stunning plant. What type of uh, environment do you grow it in? Uh, good drainage. Um, not too much water. Not too much water. Not too much direct sun. At least that's really? what I'm doing. That's what I was told. Like, try and keep it yeah. bright, but not direct sun. So do you have it potted or do you have it in the ground? I had just put it in the ground. I had it potted for a while and I kept looking to see if it was going to die back in the center. Mm-hmm. And it's not dying back and it's sending out roots. So How big yeah. of a pot did you have it in? I had it, I, I started off in a, in a glass jar. They have, they say trim all the outside leaves off, leave a few on, take the, the, the core that's coming down from the mm-hmm. leaf, trim that away, put that into a glass pot, into a glass filled with water right. and wait until you see leaves, uh, seeds or uh, roots coming off. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking it doesn't make sense. I've always been told that not always, but I, I have been told that trying to seed something in water is not good because a leaf, uh, a, a root wants oxygen to grow. You're right. drowning it. And yet roots were starting off. So I thought, well, okay, fine. You know, mm-hmm. I'll let this go for a while. I got, once they got to an inch long, I put it in, in a pot like a, six inch pot went to mexico for two months i came back doing fine and wow. so now it's in the ground god god willing it'll, it'll i think keep i'm gonna going. try that now i feel like that's a that's what i need now because i have um i've done this i've done this thing lately with all the plants in my house um i know i'm not supposed to do this but i've they've been growing in plastic pots i had i cut off a piece of this peruvian apple cactus that it, my neighbor had knocked it over with his truck by accident because mm-hmm. this, this cactus is just like you know it's fucking nuts it's going everywhere and so it's easy to knock it off by accident. And I cut the bottom off of it and I put in some dirt, mm. just thinking, like, oh, maybe it'll go. And it went, right? It totally went. Like, it's, it's almost twice the size now. But it's in this pot to where I'm like, okay, it has to have found a hole in the pot to send out a root because it couldn't get that right. big inside the pot. And of course it did. And I thought maybe I could like uproot it and replant it. But I couldn't. I just couldn't. It was so rooted in there. I had to take... It took... This made me hurt my back so much. And I never sweated so much in my life. But trying to get this fucking black plastic pot out from around this thing. And I, you know, I cut it I cut it down the sides. I cut all around it. And finally got this 
pot out of the thing that's still rooted in the ground and put I took a much bigger one and cut the hole out the bottom and to leave it in place you mean yeah to leave it in place because I'm like <laughs> I'm like this thing likes it being here I'm uh-huh. not going to move it so because I, I was going to put it in a different part of the house where it was so it was like a, like a barrier on the corner of the house so people couldn't look in as well but like this thing will not let me move it so I cut like a basically had like a band and I ran, ran it down the, the shaft of the cactus to the base and then refilled it repotted it and now it's, it's still there but it's just like one of those things where like I've been doing that more lately where I just take I cut out the bottom of a plastic pot and let the let the roots because the, they'll they'll go on the ground there and what yeah. kind of cactus is it? this is a, it's a Peruvian apple I think it's it looks it's a very normal looking cactus you see them all over LA it's like a there's six six sides to it uh-huh. um, oh it's yeah. like a like a it grows up tall it was real tall like, like organos yeah, and which are organ cactus. Okay, and they they're like they send these flowers out that are yeah, 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 white, yeah. like brilliantly large white flowers that are very mm-hmm. pretty, and uh, and then sometimes they will have these red fruit that are about the size of an apple, yeah, yeah. a little more elongated, uh-huh. and you cut them open and it's like this, Full it's like seeds. a dragon fruit. It's like yeah. um, brilliant white flesh. It's like a pear with like a bunch of little black seeds. Uh-huh. And the taste, the taste is really good. It tastes very light, but it's like, it's basically a dragon fruit. You can start those. If you have like a, one that you want to remove mm-hmm. in some way and start someplace else, cut it off down low. Right. Let it sit out in the, in the yard to harden off until it gets a callus in the bottom. Okay. Then replant it. Oh, Wait really? until that callus forms. Because it. otherwise it'll rot from the bottom. I've been doing Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I did, I didn't know what I was doing. I just figured like cuz those some of those succulents, all those cactuses are so hardy. They'll just like Yeah. You can just they, you can cut them off and they they go again wherever you take them. So I I cut off another piece of cactus to put in the place I was going to put that one in. I uh, I didn't let it harden though. I just cut it off and put it in fresh and dry. It'll, it'll probably grow anyway. Yeah, I mean, it probably will. Those things are so great. Let's talk about one more thing on this list here. There's so many things here I want to ask about, but I, I feel like I don't I don't even know. Um, what is trombacino or trombacino? Our trombacino is a, that's a, um, a squash, kind of like a, um, like a zucchini. Maybe is it related to zucchini? It might be. It's Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, it grows like a, uh, like a trombone, like a French horn. <laughs> it grows in a big circle. Okay. Now, I saw that out, out at uh, Ocean View Farms also. The woman who showed me how to do the pineapple, she was growing that. Man, and she, it was like huge. It grows. It gets it's an aggressive spreader on the ground. I mean, if you've got a section of the ground you want to cover with squash leaf, plant this. That's cool. We have in our garden where I put in a bunch of pumpkins and stuff, and now they've they've gotten so big. It's amazing how much space they take over. Like they'll just take all the space. All the they'll space. They'll them. They'll just take the entire world. They'll be like, you don't. Yeah, and you're not having any mildew problems. Um, a little bit, but I mean, I don't know. Like you mean, like on the on the leaves, like white, yeah, like, like rust. On the leaves. Yeah, I think well, some of them died off from that, but they seem to be doing well. I mean, doesn't only happen if you water at night on the yeah. leaves, like because I think they're in such a sunny spot. I can't. Yeah, you're on the you're on the far side of the hill, so maybe the yeah. the, the, the marine layer doesn't quite get there, which is oh, kind of so good. It's the marine layer that causes the, the that's rust. what I I mean. Yeah, that's what I've always assumed when I I would see so much more of mildew and rust issues when I would. See people out at Palos Verdes or Santa Monica, Weird. where they do get a marine layer. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I don't know. That stuff is stuff I don't really know how to. I've heard if you do like an antifungal spray, sometimes that works, yeah, and it's and it's yeah. it's natural though. It is natural, yeah, but, but it just sucks to have to do it. 
Is that yeah, what you're? Well, that's well, kind of my. I mean, I don't. I do like a hands off. I I you know if something is really getting getting a lot of. Uh, Problems? A lot of problems, a lot of uh, bug, of aphids especially. It's meant to be because it's sick. Well, yeah. Then I might get some, some compost tea or compost some warm tea. tea, you know, and then I'll spray it if I'm like crazy and I have the time mm-hmm. and I care, you know. But a lot of the time I'll just break it. I, I met a tomato woman in Palos Verdes who, who just – she had a not that big a, a piece of land for growing mm-hmm. and she was – in Palos Verdes, and she was—I call it the S and M approach to t- tomato, because she would she staked and caged everything, mm-hmm. and then she severely pruned her tomatoes. Was she suckering them or doing more? She was doing way beyond, I sucker. way I beyond suckering. This, what, what is this was do? like bondage. This was like what else do you a do little sick sucker. And, uh, it oh, was, she was getting incredible tomatoes. I'll oh, say really? that for her. She was getting amazing tomatoes. And she would teach how how she did it, um, but I can't imagine what else you can do besides suckering them and training them up, training them up right. That's basically it. And every single every single shoot that in any way does not have a flower on it, she would you know mm. cut it back. And she said, "I have one rule, and that is no ugly no ugly leaves." And Weird. I thought that's the one thing I've remembered though. In in, <laughs> in my years of my. My yeah. only three years of gardening, I've remembered that that one thing: no ugly leaves. So when I go into my garden and I see ugly leaves, I know one they could hide bugs, right? And B, you know, if they're not doing anything, get rid of them. And okay. and that's that's kind of been good advice, you right, know. Just right. like just you see the ugly leaf, you go and, you can go and see what's around it. Do you need it? No, take it off. You know, another one will come. So right. Yeah, that's the thing you have to remember about gardening. I always used to forget for a long time is like, uh, it will grow back. Something yeah. will grow. Something will grow. Yeah, something will grow. Oh, All is not lost if something bad happens. That's right. That's right. Then we can talk a quick minute here and we'll finish up. We'll talk about compost for a second. Because I, I that's one of my favorite subjects is compost. I find Ugly. it very interesting. You were talking before about how you do a lot of composting in Mexico. Yeah. And you um, gather different types of, uh, types of animal shits to... If I can get a, them, if I can get them, I pee in my compost. See, that's the religiously. thing. Religiously, that's the best thing that people don't know. Not they don't know you should do, but I feel like I can't now because the community garden. I feel like I feel like I can't pee in it because the second I'll start peeing, it, someone will walk in and be like, "What are you doing?" Like, I'm just I'm doing the right thing. I'm peeing. You should yeah. just have like a little watering can mm-hmm. that's yellow and that's marked male, and then another one's pink <laughs> because apparently right. male urine is, is good for tomatoes. Female urine is not. Oh, but you, oh, that's weird. But that's just so you mean like you should be urinating on your tomato plants or urinating? That's on what I do. I no, I urinate. I I pee into a into a little watering can. I let it sit for a day. <laughs> it's sterile when it's coming out. It's totally sterile when yeah, it comes it out of your body. And let it cook off a bit. And it's. You know, why are we throwing this away? Right, it's great stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, compost really is kind of like the basis for all that. and It's the great equalizer. It is the great, and yeah. it helps everything. A lot of people don't get it. I mean, we kind of, <clears throat> that was one thing that I did notice in Mexico when I was just learning to garden. It was like four years ago. And I would talk to people down there and try to get them to compost. And they said, oh, no fertilizer is so much better and they have bought this this myth 
not not a myth, but the corporate propaganda oh, yeah. that fertilizers, how you make things grow, which is kind of true. If you go down to Stanford Avalon Community Garden here in, in, in below South Central, it's mostly Mexican farmers. They're growing row crops. This garden goes on for like 10, 12 blocks or something wow, like that. It's, it's huge. huge. But they're growing kind of industrially. Okay. And they are, unlike most community gardens, they do not have a law uh, rule against uh, chemical fertilizers, and that's what they're using. Mm. And they're producing huge quantities right. as a result. Um, to get them to, to persuade them to say, no, it, you could get a better harvest and maybe not bigger, but, taste but, better. but a taste, tastier harvest using compost. And you can use, use less later on. Yeah. Use less later on, but it, it is more labor, yeah. you know, and it, and it is not industrial. So, I don't know, composting is, is kind of like the, I don't know, it, it was the first lesson in gardening that I really took to. Mm -hmm. It was kind of chemistry and physics and peeing in my yard is like the is what's not to like, you know? Yeah. Same with me. It's the first thing I really kind of gravitate to. I feel like everyone I talk to, though, who's a master gardener or something like that, that seems to be something they're interested in primarily is that and growing like like soil soil mechanics or what do you call it? Soil. Soil mechanics. Yeah, yeah. Soil physics. Yeah. That stuff is more interesting than the plants themselves a lot of times because it's like this thing where – you just take it. You've taken it for granted for so long, and then to realize that it's the key ingredient is kind of like this crazy eye-opening thing. And then when you when you stick a shovel in something and steam comes out, it's like, but well, how is this possible? This is yes, yes. this is a this pile of cold. dirt. This <laughs> was cold yesterday. Yeah. Why is it hot now? And it's very hot. It'll burn you. You know, it's so, yeah. it's so hot. You should. You should, at, if you ever have a chance, go by um, uh, Ocean View Farms mm -hmm. on a Monday morning early. Or Tuesday, well, or on a Saturday. This is out by the uh, Santa Monica Airport, mm -hmm. right across the street, actually. And they have a composting facility out there built by a master composter back when they actually gave a title to that. And he, he's oh, one man. of the very few who took the master composting class. I want to be a master composter. They used to do it in L.A. back wow. when they started all these gardens. And he graduated from that, and he has built a facility out there that is industrial in scope. It's like something out of Mad Max. They use wow. they use telephone poles that the DWP is going to truck to to Wyoming and throw away, or else they'll get into this garden. And he has built this this enclosure, double enclosure that they get all that they is a receptacle for all of the brown waste horse poop. That the city collects from horse horse owners throughout Everywhere. the West Side. So it's thousands of pounds. Thousands of pounds of Shit. horse poop and of and of green waste as well, but mostly horse poop. They dump it into this these enormous. I don't want to say vats; they're bigger than vats. Uh, that are framed by these telephone poles, and then once Just a week, cooks. once or twice a week, they scoop it out. They dump it onto a series of conveyor belts. They shoot it through a industrial size shredder smash it this powder this powdered horse poop against a plywood wall which then collects at the bottom <laughs> they then use this tiny tractor and move it down to the second <laughs> layer and they've got these bins going these these nine bins that they produce compost like you wouldn't believe it's great compost it is the best compost i've ever seen Man. in my life and and they have over 500 plots there i think i think 400 plots but you can go pick it up gardeners. if you want it you no know, you have to be a school garden or they give it away sometimes on mondays sometimes based sometimes on... depending on how much they have i mean Man. 
This is you should go by no, and just, I want just, it. just go by and say, I want to look at your composting thing because there are these crews of people that work the composting right. You know, the line. They work the upper line where the horse poop is or the secondary line, which is where people throw their, their garden waste. Mm -hmm. Everything gets shredded. They used to pay thousands of dollars a month in terms of haul um, you know, just to have their green waste hauled away. Now they don't do that anymore. So saving money and they're creating all yes. the compost. Yes. And it's the best in the world. That I can't get. Well, go buy that. I'm going to find a way. Maybe I can like, maybe slide them some money, do some sort of weird <laughs> payola thing here to get that compost. A, sh a shredder is what you need. A shredder. Okay. Like a chipper? Chipper shredder. Chipper I'm, shredder. I'm a big believer in chipper shredders. So I'm, I'm going to take one down to Mexico because you can't get them down there. But, they're uh, legal? They're just expensive. They're expensive, right. They're expensive. It's, nobody really has them. People don't have a They do kind of cold compost. They just throw a big, make a big pile somewhere and let it sit. Mm -hmm. Whereas I'd rather shred everything and have it cooked pretty quickly. Yeah. That's because that's the thing about compost is it, it will happen. It's just a matter of yeah, time. Yeah, it will happen. So if your time is of the essence, which most of the time it is, if you shred it down, mix it up, make sure it's moist and do all that stuff, then you're going to have it faster than if it just yeah, and if it's the sit and cook method. I always, yeah. I always, I. Always take if I'm going to be gardening someplace for a while. I'm composting. I always get a thermometer mm -hmm. just to like give myself the jolt of like yes, it's working in right. some way. And when I sh when I show that co my compost pile to to friends in Mexico, they're amazed. Even the gardeners <laughs> are amazed. It's like oh, it's so fast. You know, it's yeah. so fast. It's like yeah, it's so fast. If you turn it and you feed it properly, it's like cooking. You know, the yeast will rise the bread. You know, it's mm -hmm. just like that. If you don't use any yeast and you don't turn it and just look, put water on top of flour. It doesn't work. It doesn't really work. You, know? you ever put alfalfa meal on there? I've heard that's a good thing to sprinkle alfalfa meal. I've heard that meal. too, yeah. yeah. I've been doing that, but I don't know if it's doing anything at all. But I've heard that. I've heard that alfalfa meal is really good. I mean, it's green. It's a green compost. That's right. It's something people grow for that very reason. Yeah, you can just till it. Yeah. Hold under. What what is your recipe for compost tea? Is that something that I think people should? Do? Yeah, it's it's, it's nothing, a simple thing, right? It's a simple thing. It's like it's like worm tea. If I get a bag of worm castings, mm -hmm. like at a at a nursery, then I will put um, like a handful in a, like a athletic sock, tie it off, and I'll do the same thing with compost as well. Okay. I'll, I'll fill an athletic sock with with this mixture. Tie it off. Tie it off. Put it into a bucket with a with like a bubbler from an aquarium. Okay. And just have it bubble for a day. Okay, so you have to have like a little motor. Yeah, it's a little plug-in. You can get it for like ten bucks in an aquarium store. And basically, it's just like a, a a fountain pump. So what does that do exactly? What's that? It aerates it. I feel maybe it doesn't do anything, but I think it does. And then doesn't it, it increase the microbial action or something like yeah, that? Yeah, who knows? Okay, I, maybe it does. But I, I, you do it for a day. You got and you want to use it within a day. That's what I was told. Okay, because it's all live. Yeah, and you shouldn't let it sit in the bucket overnight. Right. And I was also told that that worm tea is the one thing that you can spray on just about any plant where you right. have bug activity or like mildew, and you want to like cut it down. Right. You spray that on. On the other hand, I have a friend who grows this incredible pot once again who sprayed some of what this on his plants <laughs> and he said it really impacted neg negatively on the seedlings it, like Weird. they all died back it was like it was too strong i think sometimes with the fuller feeding which is when you spray audiences you spraying um a fertilizer on the leaves i don't i think young plants don't do well with it. yeah they, i think it, you have to have sense. an older thing yeah wait just to go back though so you say you put this athletic sock in there in, Add the water, fill it up in like a, a gallon bucket, 
uh-huh. and then you put the the um, aeration. Yeah, and then stone. I like put the the aerator on a, on a brick or something, so it's pushing the, right. the fluid into the air a little bit. It's, it's getting some sort of aeration. So for how long? For like twelve hours? Yeah, 12, 14 hours. I leave then, it overnight. And then after that, you're ready to use it in like a fuller spray. So you can spray it on leaves or pour yeah, you it can dilute it. You can and I I pour it around the uh, the roots. Mm-hmm. Um, I spray anything that's looking kind of sick and weird. It's like a it's like a steroid injection, kind of right? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Okay. It's it's it's, it's like uh like what is this? Grow grow mulch? No. Grow fast? Grow crazy? Grow know. cancer? What's it called? There's so many different <laughs> so many different things. Yeah. It's like all that stuff comes out of Mendocino. That seems to be like the <laughs> the epicenter for good fertilizers. They make uh-huh. there's some sort of blend they use with chicken shit and something else that just is like supposed to be the ultimate. Ultimate in uh But chicken shit is hot. That's all right. I was told. Well, I guess I've they cook it off and then they... They cook it off? They cook, I don't know. It's some, some you know, they have acres of this uh, cat pot cash crop that they have to care for and they have some sort of ultimate blend you can get that I've heard is well, pretty well, great. We used to, when we first moved to LA in the, um, in the 70s mm-hmm. um, and we were trying to garden in our backyard, somebody told me about Tim Dundon in Altadena. You know who No, Tim I have is? no idea. Tim, I thought he's the, the the just him. He's uh, the the sheik Zeke the sheik. He used Zeke to be in the, the he used to be in the Dudot parade um, regularly. He lives on on a like a two lot here. He inherited, I guess, a t- uh, two lot plot in Altadena, and he's a he is the compost king. Interview with him is like. Go do an interview with okay. him. He's he's like, Tim. he's funny. He speaks in in parables and in rhyme. Oh, he's got a big already. white beard. <laughs> um, he's, he must be close to seventy now. And he had built a mountain, two mountains of compost. We gave our ducks away to him because he also has this this enclave that's nothing but tropical plants that's sitting upon probably four or five foot of compost that's been developing for decades. Wow! And he had this mountain of compost as well. He would go around. He would and uh, collect uh, stable bedding from the local uh, horse stables mm-hmm. in Altadena. And then he would. This is before people were really doing this. And he would go to like the local Safeway or Vons, go to their produce section, and say, "Give me all your rotten produce." So we right. have a bunch of rotten produce. And then he had all these wild chickens, free chickens, ducks from people like us mm-hmm. who, after Easter, you know, give away their duck to Tim. And I mean, this is the duck entrails. It's it. No, this is like a like a like a. Like a, a refuge. Duck? So a living duck. These are all living okay. ducks. And if, <laughs> when you walk into his property, and he would give away compost. Right. He would give away compost. We filled up a truck of compost. And of this, I mean, he, you go up there with your pitchfork. You load your truck up with this compost. There's a lot of hay, a lot of horse shit, a lot of who knows what. Right. The chickens have picked through. So there's a lot of chicken shit in it as well. And we dumped it in the back of our truck. This is right after... Timothy McVeigh blew up the Oklahoma building and I pulled into a gas station, Altadena, and opened up the back and it was just like this waft of ammonia. Oh, yeah. Just like this, oh my, this is like this bomb Uh in the back of my truck just like sitting here cooking. But it was great. You get a lot of rye, unfortunately. You use his stuff, it's not cooked down. And everywhere I've put it, I've gotten a lot of weird rye seeds and stuff that the horses didn't digest. It's better than, than Bermuda grass. That's for but sure. yeah, I mean, it will definitely kill off your Bermuda grass. And really, yeah, I, I so believe I have, that. Do I have to like talk to the birds to find Tim, or how do you? No, um, he's on. 
It's on Facebook. Mountain <laughs> Avenue. He might be. Do a search for Tim Dundon. And okay. there's been New York Times did a, a story on him, I think. Last time I was out there, Great. somebody from New York Times was his name, him. Um, what was that, Meg? There's another. Or do, do a search for Zeke the Sheik. Mm-hmm. He's on Mountain Avenue in Altadena. Uh, an incredibly friendly, nice guy. And cool. all the kind of master gardeners I met before I became one, that I was like writing about gardening, everybody knew Tim. Got because it. he would like, he gave his stuff away. He's the guy. He was the guy, and he was so passionate about compost, it was hard not to like be mm-hmm. infected by his passion. Cool. He's a wonderful guy. Outstanding. So you can, uh, all your articles are viewable online, right? All through LA, LA Everything, Times? Everything's online. All the plant articles as well? Everything is, is online. Do a search for Global Garden um, or A Year in the Community Garden. Got it. And those are the community gardens one will come up and same with the plant, the individual plant. Yeah, and if you do a search with my name, there there is a page somewhere buried in the LA Times site, which I it's hard to find, that has all fifty-two posts for the community garden. And then the global garden is archived. I think they did the last archive last fall, and they'll probably do another one this year. There's probably great. I mean, we're getting close to a hundred plants, I believe. Yeah, that's a big list. All right, we'll put it on the website and you can check it out. Jeff Spurrier, thanks for being on Twisting the Wind. Thank you. Bye. It was enjoyable. Bye. Woo! section of Twisting the Wind. You're here. You got here. You, well, it's just started, really. It just started. That was a little bit of intro music there from uh, my my good friend and old compadre I grew up with, Lee Perry. You know him. He has that black arc. He burned it down because he just got tired of it, I guess. Uh, uh, yeah, this is the musical section of Twisting the Wind. It's just such a marvelous time to be in this space right now. We've got heat, we've got fans, we've got electricity. It's just congregating in a, in, in a congruous fashion. Today I want to talk about a man named Prince Jasbo. He's from Jamaica, born in 1951 under the name Linville Roy Carter. Classic uh, Jamaican name. You know, because they all have really proper English names because they were a British colony for a very long time. So, uh, he is a DJ in the sense of Jamaica DJ. Not DJ like an annoying white guy with a, with a fucking weird piercing <laughs> in his upper lip. Or an upper lip. You know, like the, the, the guys who have the, um, the piercing that's not just an earring piercing. It's like maybe at a different part on the ear that's not the, not the lobe. He doesn't have a ring on his upper left ear quadrant, okay? It's not that kind of DJ. He doesn't spin wax. He's not a spinner. He's the true sense of a DJ, which is back when this stuff was invented in the 70s, when Jamaica started talking over older music. When I say older, I mean just slightly older, because they were uh, an extremely advanced musical society, 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 Due to either uh, A, alien invasion, B, 
giant magnetic crystal underground or a combination of the both uh, of the both of course the both because jamaica i don't know the shape of it it's kind of like a long slender curving island and uh it very well could be just like a giant crystal that's just like been uh, hit some sort of like magical invisible ray from deep interstellar space and it turned the vibrational frequencies inside of itself and it became of this pulsing crystal that just like throttled people's forebrains into making some of the most melt-worthy music on the face of the GD planet. Okay, that's my personal theory on um, uh, Jamaican music. I didn't say reggae, because reggae is, I don't know, this is a whole other conversation, but technically reggae is of a later period. Like, you have Rocksteady, you have Ska, all amazing, before the word reggae was even around, so... Also, when you say reggae, people just tend to be like, tune out, because they're like, what? Oh, no. No, I like better music than that. I like I like really good music like uh, Passion Pit and Vampire Weekend. Yeah, I'm not really into to reggae. Yeah, I'm not a frat boy. Yeah. Oh, guess what? You're worse than that. Okay. So, here we are, moving forward, to talk about Prince Jasbell. Amazing guy. There's a lot of uh, important DJs of this era who are great, but something about Prince Jasbell, I feel like he's he's not talked about as much for i don't know i don't know why re- what what why reason he isn't uh, i mean he's not as popular as big youth or iroy or uroy but jasbo is cool man you know what i mean you know when someone's just cool like they're really cool like they just don't give a fuck and they're just super cool i feel like jasbo is such jasbo is maybe he didn't strive as much maybe his message wasn't as political or uplifting or whatever as some other DJs, but he is incredibly cool. I don't know what it is about him, but something about the way he talks and sings, the way he DJs, that is, uh, it sticks in my brain more than any other guy. Except for maybe, like, except for maybe, I don't know, I don't know, maybe, uh, one other guy whose name I can't think of right now. So I'm gonna hear, I'm gonna play a track here from, uh, his incredible, uh, <laughs> from a really incredible album of his. It is called I Tell Corner. And I suppose it came out about 1974. It was kind of, the release was kind of delayed due to a bunch of weird things that happened between him and Iroy. Uh, it's such a complicated thing. And I feel like I'm going to, I'll misspeak if I talk about it because it's, you know, it's the stuff of like weird legend that I have barely access to. So I won't say it. But this album was produced by Lee Perry in the Black Ark. So it is dark, deep, amazing. It's warped beyond any, it's, it's, it's black matter, what do they call that shit? Like a dark matter? It's like that. It unzips it unzips things. It's like a it's like throwing a, a very strong base liquid in your eyeballs. It just unzips the protein, but it does it in your ears. It's ridiculous. It's so dark. Like I remember being getting uh being incredibly stoned once when I first listened to this album and just being like I couldn't stop saying, Oh man, then you'll never hear this on the radio. You'll never hear this on the radio. It's too it's too bombastic. It's too dark. People would drive themselves off bridges thinking they could fly if it was on the radio because it's so so powerful. I really thought that. And I do think it's true. It's not something you hear on the radio. Because it is. It's just a little bit too Spooky, but not spooky in the sense like, hey, it's spooky, it's Halloween. We're, oh, I love spooky music. I, mean, I, love, I love spooky. Shut the fuck up. It's actually dark. It's just, you know, it's that little man. That little man. Uh, that little man. That little man, Lee Perry. He just had something. He had like a, a special magic wand sort of thing. And we introduced the coolness of Jazzbone to that equation. You have something that 
is almost edible. Okay, I'm going to play it for you now. Summertime, we did a whole heap of island. 
The best island you can find, you got to take care of about the house. Pop it down. like it did you did you guys like that did you enjoy it did you guys when i said guys i mean you know people how did that happen somebody tell me how that happened i don't know that was prince jazz bow title track ital corner as produced by lee perry in the black arc title track meaning the album came off the uh the song came off the album of the same name ital corner i tell truly non-step backwards None steps forwards. Yeah, you have an idea of it. Prince Jasbo. You hear that effortless effortlessness cool in there? What the hell? I don't know how he does it. I think maybe he's uh, stone blasted or he's just deeply cool. He's like, he's just laying down. He's like in like a special machine that allows him to sort of sit semi upright and kind of skate across the surface of the earth. But the wheels are really big in his machine, so he doesn't feel any bumps. It's just kind of like undulating like he's going thousands of miles an hour down like a wicked hill in northern california that's just like you know it's just like weeds and stuff weeds and rocks and dust but it's going whoosh, whoosh, it's that it's that but at night you know with fireworks that don't make any sound they just make light that's what i'm talking about that's what happened there that's what that means i tell corner that's a reference to what i just said completely one more here from prince jasbo this is crab walking it's so good. He's uh, talking over the classic Horace Andy song uh, called Skylarking. You've probably heard that. Maybe you haven't heard this. Doesn't matter. It's all the same. Enjoy. Calling all dancers. Let's put on our dancing shoe and boogaloo and the barbecue real cool. It's good for you. Leave it up. Sounds to keep you jumping. Sounds to let you come down and swing. I will buy your wedding. So baby, come on down and let's do your own thing Take the doctor with you on the back Take the doctor, jump it in the back, you know While I must get that girl from a lollipop Take a touch, she's coming back up on the truck Cause I would say Skylarking Skylarking Give it to me Shooby-dooby-dooby, I love you 
Cause I want you just to be my little girl To win you on the world True love will never die Baby don't you ever make me cry Don't know why Tears falling from your eyes And rain coming down from the sky You lift it up You keep on walking through the door some more You keep on jumping through the door for sure Keep on rocking around as I would say And let us do the little walking Let us do the little talking Crab walking A crab talking Leave it up Sound to shift you on the back You go up high Up in the sky my baby I could never tell you no lie Tears falling from your eyes Rain falling from the sky I rub it up, I dig it up, I dig it up, I dig it up, I rig it up One time, I move it up, I'm coming down the line Girl, you keep on coming down the line and wind the waistline I beg you rock it up in time, I tell you till you wind the line You wind the leg up in the waistline And then you keep on rocking in time Make a move as I would say You keep on going to school, to build up on the school Up, keep you moving, to keep you jumping along, you know. Sound to quit you on the back, to take a Crab Sound to let you walk on top. Sound to let you walk on top and let your friends laugh. Don't you skylark Come on down and let us do the crab walk You hear me to me one time I like a Johnny Brown Brown Whatever you be wrong Leave it up Shave it up You leave it up, you dig it up You ring it up, you shift it up You tap it, till it up, you do you, you know Scrap walking Scrap walking The good time roll, grab walking, grab uh, walking. I beg you take a part to dance and show one let the boogaloo grab walking. Oh, yeah. Can you just handle it? Can you just handle it? That song is like three minutes long, and it's just explosive, full-on explodes. There's water tanks everywhere that are just anonymously, anonymously, not anonymously, they're just unanimously? No, they're just, um, you know, they're just exploding. All of a sudden, there's like water like spraying in the air. Why? Oh, because you played jazz bells, crab walking. That is a Studio One production, I believe. Care of Clement Cox and Dodd. God rest his soul. Well, God will rest his soul. I'm sure the aliens have taken control of his soul and used it to repair their like five-dimensional anti-gravity hyperdrives by supplanting a baseline or something. Ah, I don't need to stop talking. Okay, I want to play something. Um, what we just heard was Crab Walking by Prince Jasbo. Uh, I want to play a quick thing here. This is something I found on YouTube years ago. I, some reason, it just sticks in my head all the goddamn time. It's Prince Jasbo. It's some reggae festival doing a sound ID for some random French reggae fans. But there's something about it. He's just on the street wearing a t-shirt and sunglasses, has like a big old spliff in his hands very casual and he's just doing these guys like the greatest service ever and they're just wetting themselves because it's fucking prince jasbo it's really funny though i'm gonna play <laughs> a piece of it for you here jasbo 
Microphone check, 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 Wicked and wild. Wicked and wild. This is Rastafari style. Now, I want you to tune into this because me, this ugly man named Prince Jasbo, and tune in to us on the Sound Festival in South of France, Banyolia Cells. Am I getting that right? Is it Banyolia Cells? Okay, you get it, you get it, you get it, you get it. Prince Jasbo talking to some French guys. I'll put the link up for that YouTube video because it's impossible to find. It's buried. Prince Jasbo. So this has been the Twisting the Wind musical portion section of the episode of Twisting the Wind you're listening to. Thanks for it. Please be sure to go to feralaudio.com and investigate these musical selections uh, further by purchasing them through Amazon, through our Amazon portal. It helps us out, helps you out because you get music. And it sounds better when you have it because you can blast it over speakers and not headphones and it's not compressed and all that good stuff. So do that. Also, buy the whole album and shit. It's all good. I just can't play I just said it's all good. I hate that phrase. It's all good. Ugh! Ugh! I'm like an old priest or something who's pretending to be cool. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, you're good now. Everything is great. Just keep on working with what you have and try to buy a, like a weird, if you want to buy me a Gamalese Balafon or a, Gan- a Ghananian Balafon, a 12 note, 8 note, or a 10 note, all welcome. You can do that to Twisting the Wind at Gmail and I'll give you the address and everything. Okay, great. Thank you for listening to Twisting the Wind.
of the United States government, it is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. <laughs> the NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.